I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step 1, the ultimate USMLE Step 1 review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step 1 podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high-yield and high-quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. This is Katie Karski narrating part three of the endocrinology chapter. Parathyroid glands, anatomy, embryology, and histology. The four parathyroid glands are the key mediators of calcium and phosphate homeostasis and therefore play an important role in bone growth and development. As the name implies, they are near the thyroid, usually on the posterior aspect or inside the thyroid parenchyma. The two superior parathyroid glands arise from the fourth pharyngeal pouch. The two inferior parathyroid glands arise from the third pharyngeal pouch. Counterintuitive because they swap places. The embryologic development of these two pouches can fail to develop properly in DeGeorge syndrome. DeGeorge syndrome. Failure of the third and fourth pharyngeal pouches to develop. See Chapter 4. The mnemonic to remember the associated defects is CATCH-22, cardiac abnormalities, especially tetralogy of Fallot, abnormal facies, thymic aplasia, cleft palate, and hypoparathyroidism with hypocalcemia caused by failure of parathyroid development. This disease is a deletion on chromosome 22. The histology of the gland shows two distinct cell morphologies chief cells, and oxyphil cells. The chief cells are small, round, eosinophilic cells that create parathyroid hormone, which is stored until stimulated for release. The chief cells have a role in calcium. The role of oxyphil cells is unknown. Overview of calcium homeostasis. Calcium and phosphorus homeostasis are maintained by hormones, parathyroid hormone, calcitonin, vitamin D, and the organs that react to these hormones, bones, kidneys, and intestines. These hormones mainly regulate the way that each of these organs handles calcium. For example, bone can be deposited or reabsorbed. The intestines can reabsorb more or less dietary calcium, and the kidneys can reabsorb more or less calcium from the tubules. The major player in calcium homeostasis is parathyroid hormone, secreted in response to low serum ionized calcium. Ionized describes free calcium as ions, rather than bound to albumin or other proteins. Follow figure 9.30 with the explanation here. 1. The parathyroid gland senses decreased ionized calcium and secretes parathyroid hormone, PTH. Parathyroid hormone has direct actions on the bones and kidneys. 2. PTH has three effects on the kidneys. 1. PTH increases expression of 1-alpha-hydroxylase in the proximal tubule of the nephron, which will convert vitamin D into its active form. 2. PTH inhibits phosphate reabsorption, inhibits sodium phosphate cotransporter, also in the proximal tubule, causing phosphate urea. This is because if both calcium and phosphate were increased in the body, they would precipitate. Three. PTH increases calcium reabsorption in the distal convoluted tubule, 
to increase calcium levels. As an aside, PTH works through the GS signaling pathway, which generates increased cyclic adenosine monophosphate, CAMP, as a signaling molecule. The actions on renal tubular cells cause increased CAMP production, leading to increased urinary CAMP. 3. PTH activity directly stimulates the osteoblasts. This may be counterintuitive when thinking about osteoblasts, which form bone by depositing calcium. The reason for this apparent paradox is that the osteoblasts in turn signal osteoclasts through rank L to reabsorb bone and therefore increase serum calcium. This initial stimulation of osteoblasts, however, is why small bursts of PTH can be used clinically to just stimulate osteoblasts and treat osteoporosis. 4. Vitamin D, in its active form, 125-OH vitamin D, calcitriol, has its main effect on the intestines, increasing synthesis of a calcium-binding protein, calbindin D28K, to promote increased absorption of dietary calcium. Calcitriol also increases dietary absorption of phosphate. Vitamin D also has effects on the kidneys, increasing both calcium and phosphate reabsorption, and on bone to stimulate reabsorption of old bone and mineralization of new bone, bone remodeling. The net effect of vitamin D is increasing calcium and phosphate levels through the kidneys, gut, and bone, and subsequently promoting bone remodeling. Vitamin D can be obtained through dietary sources or formed in the skin through sunlight, major source. This inactive vitamin D then goes to the liver and through hepatic 25-hydroxylase becomes 25-OH vitamin D, which is still inactive. It is not until the renal activity of 1-alpha-hydroxylase turns it into 1-25-OH vitamin D, or calcitriol, that it is active. Therefore, hepatic dysfunction, lack of sufficient 25-hydroxylase activity, or renal dysfunction, lack of sufficient 1-alpha-hydroxylase activity, can lead to functional vitamin D deficiency. Calcitonin is also involved in calcium homeostasis, but plays a very minor role. Calcitonin tones down calcium, lowers serum calcium, by inhibiting bone resorption, inhibiting osteoclast activity. Calcitonin is secreted by the parafollicular C-cells. Laboratory Testing and Pitfalls Understanding the laboratory testing necessary to diagnose disorders of calcium and phosphate homeostasis is important. First, it is important to ensure that the calcium level is truly accurate. Changes in albumin and changes in acid-base status can alter total and ionized calcium levels, respectively. Total calcium measures the amount of calcium in the blood. Free calcium only takes into account the free, ionized calcium that is active. Hypoalbuminemia. Because calcium is attached to albumin, lower albumin levels can lead to a decreased calcium level. One gram per deciliter of albumin binds 0.8 milligrams per deciliter of calcium at physiologic pH. Therefore, in the asymptomatic patient, hypoalbuminemia is the most common cause of low calcium on a laboratory test. However, this will not change the ionized calcium level. The ionized free unbound calcium has not changed, 
so the patient will not have symptoms related to abnormal calcium levels. Acid-base disturbances. Albumin is a large negatively charged protein. These negatively charged sites can bind hydrogen or calcium. In acidemia, in which there is an excess hydrogen, the hydrogen will take up most of those sites, displacing calcium and leading to increased ionized calcium levels, because the calcium will have nowhere to bind. Conversely, in alkalemia, in which there are fewer hydrogens, there will be more open sites in albumin for calcium to bind, and therefore proportionately more calcium will bind to albumin, leading to decreased ionized calcium. Because in both of these cases, the calcium is just being moved between the bound and unbound state, and is not being gained or lost from the body, the total calcium does not change in acid-base disturbances. However, the ionized calcium has changed, so the patient may have symptoms related to abnormal ionized calcium levels. The etiology of the calcium disturbance can be further elucidated by the use of additional laboratory testing, depending on the pathology. In the next section, each pathologic cause of altered calcium or phosphate levels will be addressed as well as the diagnosis and treatment. It is also important to note that for these disturbances, as well as for endocrine disturbances in general, normal ranges for hormones must be taken in their appropriate context. For instance, a normal calcium level is 8.5 to 10 mg per deciliter, and a normal PTH level is 10 to 60 picograms per milliliter. However, if a patient's calcium is 11 mg per deciliter, high, and PTH level is 50 picograms per milliliter, normal range, it is abnormal because in the context of hypercalcemia, the normal range PTH level is much too high. It should be less than 10 picograms per milliliter because there should be negative feedback on the parathyroid glands if they are functioning normally. It is important to keep this in mind to prevent being misled. A. Primary hypoparathyroidism. Calcium is low and the parathyroid gland is not attempting to fix it, low PTH. B. Hypoalbuminemia. Decreased albumin leads to decreased total calcium, but ionized free calcium is normal, and therefore PTH is normal range. C. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. High PTH is unable to correct calcium. This can be seen in renal failure, because vitamin D cannot be made to help correct calcium. Note that this could also represent pseudo-hypoparathyroidism, described later. D. Respiratory alkalosis. Total calcium is normal, but alkalosis causes increased binding of calcium to albumin, leading to decreased ionized calcium and subsequent increased PTH level to increase ionized calcium. E. Primary hyperparathyroidism. High calcium, yet PTH is still high. F. Hypercalcemia of malignancy. High calcium, PTH low because parathyroid hormone-related peptide, PTHRP, is being created instead, or direct osteolytic bone metastases. Refer to figure 9.32 when revisiting each pathologic disease to understand why the laboratory values are as described previously. Pathology causing increased calcium levels. When hypercalcemia occurs, the typical symptoms are remembered by stones, bones, groans, 
and psychiatric overtones. Stones. Calcium-containing renal stones are the most common manifestation of hypercalcemia because the increased calcium in the urine promotes stone formation. Gallstones can also occur. Bones. Depending on the cause of hypercalcemia, different bone manifestations can occur. In hyperparathyroidism, the elevated PTH levels cause hypercalcemia, and the effects of sustained high PTH levels on the osteoblasts, which signaled the osteoclasts, lead to a syndrome called osteitis fibrosa cystica, in which cystic and hemorrhagic bone lesions develop from high osteoclastic activity and subperiosteal reabsorption of bone, especially in the fingers. High PTH levels also cause osteoporosis for similar reasons. Lastly, there can be a salt and pepper appearance of the skull, from diffuse osteoclastic activity in the skull. Groans. The groans are from GI problems, such as abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting. This is because hypercalcemia is a cause of pancreatitis, from enzyme activation, and calcium also causes increased gastrin production and subsequent acid secretion in the stomach, potentially leading to peptic ulcer disease. Psychiatric overtones. Common, but can have varied findings, ranging from depression and anxiety to psychosis and coma. The differential diagnosis list for increased calcium levels is long and can be remembered by the mnemonic chimpanzees. However, it is worth noting that primary hyperparathyroidism and malignancies account for almost all causes, greater than 90% of hypercalcemia, and should come to mind first. Chimpanzees Calcium ingestion, milk alkali syndrome, hyperparathyroidism, most common cause in absence of malignancy, iatrogenic, multiple myeloma from bone breakdown, Paget disease, Addison disease as a result of volume contraction causing increased reabsorption of fluid and electrolytes, including calcium, from the proximal tubule of the nephron, neoplasms, either those secreting PTHRP or from bone metastases, Sollinger-Ellison syndrome, excessive vitamin D intake or vitamin A intake, excessive thyroid hormone, hyperthyroidism causes increased bone turnover, sarcoidosis, or other granulomatous disease, as a result of increased macrophage activity. Macrophages have 1-alpha-hydroxylase activity, which leads to hypercalcemia secondary to increased 125 vitamin D levels. Because the two main causes of hypercalcemia are hyperparathyroidism and malignancy, they will be covered in additional detail. Hyperparathyroidism can be primary gland hyperfunction, secondary as a result of hypovitaminosis D or renal failure, or tertiary, prolonged secondary hyperparathyroidism causes the glands to become autonomous. Primary hyperparathyroidism usually is due to a single hyperfunctioning adenoma, 80%, but can also be due to diffuse hyperplasia of all four glands, 20%. Recall that primary hyperparathyroidism is associated with MEN1 and 2A. Laboratory Diagnosis of Primary Hyperparathyroidism Hypercalcemia in the setting of normal to high PTH, 
is diagnostic of hyperparathyroidism as a result of inappropriate secretion of PTH despite high calcium levels. Imaging Diagnosis of Primary Hyperparathyroidism A Technetium 99M Sestamibi radionucleotide scan can indicate whether or not there is a single hyperfunctioning adenoma, which takes up the radiotracer more avidly than the other normal parathyroid glands. In either case, hyperplasia or adenoma, the treatment is surgical. Secondary hyperparathyroidism, caused by hypovitaminosis D, either because of dietary deficiency or secondary to renal failure. Because active 125-OH vitamin D is essential to the ability of the body to increase calcium levels from inability of conversion of 25-OH vitamin D to 125-OH vitamin D, PTH will have sustained release because of lack of negative feedback from calcium levels. Therefore, the laboratory studies will show high PTH with low calcium and high phosphorus. Tertiary hyperparathyroidism. With prolonged secondary hyperparathyroidism, the parathyroid glands become autonomous. Even if the underlying cause is fixed, i.e. renal transplantation, PTH will remain high. Sustained high PTH has caused these hyperfunctioning parathyroid glands to lose their negative feedback. Hypercalcemia of malignancy can occur in two settings. One, a perineoplastic syndrome from PTHRP secreted by the cancerous cells, and two, direct bone destruction from metastases leading to increased calcium levels. The best way to distinguish between these two entities is a PTHRP level. With hypercalcemia of malignancy caused by PTHRP secretion, the PTH will be low, and the PTHRP will be high, and the calcium will be high. The classic cause of this is squamous cell carcinoma of the lung. In addition, diffuse lytic metastases to bone can cause destruction, leading to high calcium but low PTH and PTHRP levels. Treatment of any form of hypercalcemia is correction of the underlying cause. However, acute treatment is aimed at 1. Diluting the calcium, 2. Increasing urinary excretion of calcium, and 3. Protecting bone. Dilution of the serum calcium occurs from large amounts of intravenous hydration. Intravenous furosemide, Lasix, causes calcium to be excreted in the urine. See Chapter 15 for Mechanism. Bisphosphonates deposit in the bone and prevent osteoclastic release of calcium by preventing breakdown of bone. Pathologic causes of decreased calcium levels. Again, when dealing with a low serum calcium level, it is most important to first correct the calcium for hypoalbuminemia if present. This is easily the most common cause of hypocalcemia in an asymptomatic patient. However, a patient who truly has hypocalcemia will often display some of the following symptoms. Tetany. The decreased calcium level causes hyperexcitability of the muscles. This can be assessed clinically by Trousseau sign of latent tetany and Schofsteck sign. Trousseau sign involves inducing carpal or pedal spasm by inflating a blood pressure cuff on the arm or leg above the patient's systolic pressure. This action allows the limb to develop a mild acidosis. 
and the subsequent hyperexcitable neurons will fire and trigger muscle contraction. Chauvesteck's sign is tapping on the inferior portion of the zygoma in the area of the facial nerve, which will subsequently cause facial twitching. Arrhythmias can occur because hypocalcemia leads to QT prolongation of the echocardiogram, increasing the susceptibility to torsades de points, which occurs when a premature beat attempts to fire during the repolarization phase of the heart, termed an R on T phenomenon because the QRS complex represents ventricular depolarization, which is abnormally occurring during the repolarization of the heart. The main cause of hypocalcemia is hypoparathyroidism. Other causes include DeGeorge syndrome, covered earlier in the section Anatomy, Embryology, and Histology, and pseudohypoparathyroidism. Pseudohypoparathyroidism has many types, the most commonly tested being Albright hereditary osteodystrophy, pseudohypoparathyroidism type 1a. This is an autosomal dominant genetic condition in which the GS subunit of the PTH receptor is broken, leading to ineffective action of PTH on the kidney. Hypoparathyroidism can be caused iatrogenically by previous neck surgery, but the most common non-surgical cause is autoimmune. This is characterized by low PTH levels in the face of low calcium. Treatment is supplementation with calcium and active vitamin D. Pseudohypoparathyroidism. There is a dysfunctional PTH receptor on the kidney, but the parathyroid gland itself functions normally. Therefore, there will be low calcium, as though the patient had hypoparathyroidism, hence the name pseudohypoparathyroidism, but the PTH will be high because the gland is attempting to correct the calcium level. One classic sign of pseudohypoparathyroidism is the knuckle-knuckle-dimple-dimple sign, produced by shortening of the fourth and fifth metacarpals. This is in contrast to Turner syndrome, in which there is a knuckle-knuckle-dimple-knuckle sign. Hypovitaminosis D. Lack of vitamin D leads to two different conditions, depending on whether the patient is a child or an adult. In children, it leads to rickets, which causes insufficient bone mineralization for the growing bones leading to skeletal deformities, especially genuverum, bowing of the femurs. In adults, lack of vitamin D leads to ineffective mineralization of new bone, so bone remodeling does not occur properly. This causes osteoporosis and weakening of the bones. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step One, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.